You are listening to the Pops on Hops podcast, where we listen to some pops, drink a little hops, and I get to hang out with my pop. I'm Abigail Hummel. And I'm Barry Hummel, and we want to welcome you to episode 53, which just so happens to be our next Jukebox episode. And today, we're very honored to have a friend of mine who I really only know virtually. Unbelievable how many of my friends I only know virtually, but this is another friend that I've met through the Stand Up with Pete Dominic podcast community, and she was kind enough to submit a Jukebox album that is really different. Really interesting and going to be a lot of fun to discuss. You may have heard her work on the Stand Up with Pete Dominic podcast as part of The Hue, and we'll link some of those episodes in the show notes. And also on her brother's cultural podcast, Movies and Music, called Frankly Speaking. She was on and did a big double dip on Tom Cruise most recently. I believe that was last summer. And that is my friend Francis Walton, a.k.a. France Pants. Francis, thanks so much for jumping on. So glad to join you both. This is super exciting. Welcome. Thank you. We're so glad to have you. It's great to meet you formally. I mean, I don't think we have ever met. We haven't. I was on a couple of the Thursday night hangs. Oh, nice. I don't even remember when they were. Christmas time. Yeah, one around Christmas, one around Thanksgiving when I, you know, happened to be home with my dad. But it's really great to meet you and always love meeting a Pete Dominic fan and a friend of my dad's is a friend of mine. So great to have you on. <laughs> oh, thank you. It's such a pleasure to be here. Honestly, I'm just adding you into the fray of all of our lovely digital friends that we keep meeting. It's fantabulous. But I do hope that we get to meet in person at some point in the near future. We came very close last summer, Francis, because I went to Asheville to run this race. I'm wearing the shirt today, the yes. River Arts District Half Marathon, and you were away, I think, for your birthday, and so yes. we missed each yeah. other the last time I was in Asheville, and I don't think I'm going to get to Asheville this summer. I've been up there three summers in a row, but I think this summer we added a trip that's going to mess up our plans to maybe get to Asheville this year. Oh, and there's one other thing that might be interesting to you. I just discovered that John Carroll friend of Pete Dominic's community, mm -hmm. is going to be playing with Mary Chapin Carpenter this summer, and they will be in Charlotte on August 11th. Oh, and Abigail and I are seriously thinking about coming up for the concert. So there's an opportunity too. let me know. I'll be there yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to reach out to John and just confirm that he's going to be there that day. If that's the case, then I think we're really going to look into trying to pull that together because I think that'd be super fun. And again, I've only met John digitally, so it'd be fun to meet him in person as well. That would be fabulous. And the fact that my brother actually lives in Charlotte. So Is that where he lives? Okay. Maybe you could find the uh, CD that uh, we're supposed to be reviewing today. <laughs> uh, yes. I was like bothering him, like, please try and find it for me. And he Comedy he of errors it was. So we're going to review an album today called Mute Math. It's named after the band. It's their debut album. And I'd never heard of these guys. Maybe one track on here. I'm like, did I hear that? Or was it something else similar that I heard? But tell me a little bit about how you discovered the band or the album more than anything, and then why you thought this was a good one for us. Yeah, well, so back when I was in college, back in 2006, I was in Earth Science. I had a friend that was like, hey, there's a concert coming up. Do you want to go to this concert? not knowing who was playing, not knowing anything about the band or whatever. I was just like, you know, no, I don't have anything coming up. Yes, I would love to join you. So the concert was a Switchfoot concert and the opening band was Mute Math. And from the second they started, it was like the drum riff that just starts, kicks it off. And I was just completely enthralled from that moment till the end of it. And I was just like, I absolutely love this band. The drummer, Darren King. I, and I say it was because of the drums, right? I wanted to play drums when I was a kid, but my parents were like, we have this piano at our grandparents. You're going to play piano. <laughs> so I played piano, but I wanted to be a drummer. So seeing Darren King, he took 
electrical tape or something, maybe duct tape, and wrapped it around his headphones before he started. So I was like, why is he wrapping this around his head? How intense is this about to get? Yeah, there was a reason why, because he's just like throwing himself all over the place. Oh, wow. Breaking his drumsticks as he's playing, but then getting one and just kicking it up not missing a beat, or if he did, didn't notice it. It was just that good. But from the beginning to the end, I was just like, this band is freaking fantastic. The synthesizer, the fact that the musicians were like bouncing from different instrument to different instrument, that was something that I was like, yo, they're all so talented. So when they ended, then Switchfoot came on and I was like, mm, you want to go? <laughs> like, <laughs> we didn't even stay for the actual band that we were there to see. Like, oh, wow. yeah, the headliner. So we left, I went straight to the table where they were selling their merch. And I was like, I'll buy that CD. Give me that CD, please. And then I proceeded to just play the CD on repeat. Sorry, roommates. <laughs> Sorry, neighbors in my dorm. Like I would have people come over and be like, hey, please, can you turn that music down? <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, it was on repeat for MySpace where you could like pick your song. It was either Plan B or Chaos that was playing on my MySpace. <laughs> Those are like my obsession. Then later when Transformers came out and they had that as their song, I made that my MySpace song. So it was always like some sort of love towards Mute Math. And it just continued until what's happened since then. Yeah, the band is kind of dissolved. But did you listen to any of their albums after this? Oh, yeah. I would go to the concerts anytime that there was a concert that was in Charlotte area. I would find myself there. There was one that they did that was a festival. I didn't make that one. But I ended up even dragging my mom to a concert because I was like, I don't want to go by myself. Oh, I'm in like a different town. And she went and she was like, this is fantastic. Oh. Because during that show, because they'll have this instrumental breakdown at certain points. And at this show, they blew up an air mattress. And so Paul Meany, the lead singer, ends up surfing in the crowd on this air mattress. Oh, wow. It's so rickety. He's bouncing around. He's like falling over and everything as he's up there. But they had like a beat machine and everything. And so I'm vibing. My mom is vibing. I was like, yeah, they're my jam. Wow. That's awesome. That's a bold move to take your mom because it's a pretty interesting style of music. Very experimental, electronic sound. Even when it's traditional instruments, mm -hmm. they're distorted in some way. So it's this massively big soundscape. Yes. But the drum is the backbone of that throughout the entire album. And so it's interesting that what you keyed in on live was the drumming. That disc you bought is part of what, <laughs> speaking of chaos, yeah. the uh, disc you bought was part of the confusion because we started to go find the album to break it down. And there was this issue where they were signed with Warner Brothers and Warner Brothers relegated them to a label that was primarily Christian music. And they were not happy with that. So they started their own label and put that album together that you bought at the concert, almost in defiance of Warner Brothers. So that album is different, not radically different, but a couple of songs are missing. A couple of songs got added to what we're going to listen to today. And part of the reason for that was that Warner Brothers, when they got control of it and renegotiated the contract and put this album together, they pulled songs from the album that you heard and also songs from an EP they had released earlier before they were even signed to a label. In essence, it sounds like they're trying to cash in, right? They're going to put all this music on here. So we have a very long album with 14 tracks on it. And I don't think we'll go through all the minutia of which songs are slightly different. But half the songs on this album either have redone vocals or were not on the original album. Abigail even bought a copy of an album on eBay that said it was the original album, the one we were 
trying to get, and it ended up being the Warner Brothers album. So basically, we decided we're going to do the Warner Brothers album because if people want to hear this, that's really the only thing they can hear. So this isn't the one you bought at the concert, but we'll do the best we can <laughs> with what we have. So is that your case of the original? It's the case with their second CD, Armistice, in it. I can't believe it. I'm so like, <laughs> what the heck? This <sighs> happens all the time. I'm missing two CDs that I'm pretty sure were in the CD player of cars that I traded in to get new cars. <laughs> so I can't find Oh my gosh, yeah. Anyway, I'm really excited. I like the album a lot. My initial impression of it was... I don't know really where you classify it, but I was thinking new metal a little bit because just of the pacing of the drumming made me think a little bit, Abigail, of the Incubus album that we did. Not that the electronic music sounds the same, but that the style of real rapid fire drumming, kind of alternative music sounds, electronic sounds combined hmm. made me think of that one a little bit. Interesting. That was another jukebox album, right? It was, yeah. So yeah, I really did like the album a lot and have not heard many things like this. So it was very fun for me. I really liked it too. I want to bring up, it's so funny that you brought up MySpace, Francis, because their MySpace link is on the back of this CD. Uh-huh. And it's just so 2006. It's so <laughs> funny to me. Yeah, I really enjoyed this album. If I had known this album in high school, I think it falls in the category of something I would have gone absolutely feral over in high school. Now... I have some attention span issues with it, and we will go over those in detail when we get to the songs that are affected by that. I do have issues with the sequencing of this album, the length overall of this album, and the length of some of the songs. The first seven songs, I think, are pretty perfect. I love the first seven songs. And then we get into, I mean, there are instrumentals in those first seven songs, but the instrumentals on the back half are much longer. The songs overall are much longer and slower overall. So around about the obsolete mark is when I start to lose momentum. I did the thing my dad always does when I listened to this album to start was I starred the songs that really captured my attention at first. And I starred four in the first seven songs and one in the last seven, the last seven songs. I mean, that just goes to show the differences in my opinions on the two sides. But again, I really enjoyed the experience of listening to this album. And those first seven songs, I think, are absolute classics. I did some minor research on the band and found that they were on a Twilight movie soundtrack. So I'm surprised I had never heard the name of this band before because I was very into that Twilight movie. And then Dad, I don't know if you saw this, but they toured with The Fray at one point. Oh, I didn't see that. Yeah, we reviewed The Fray's first album how to save a life on this podcast and um they toured with the fray i couldn't find the year i feel like francis may have walked out on the fray given the yeah uh... maybe <laughs> i'm like did i i hope not oh my god pure regret if that's the case if you're coming in because you're a fan of this band and they're the opening act at a bunch of shows and then they play and then hey, am i gonna sit through the fray <laughs> <laughs> Is that a step up or down from this? I don't know the answer to that. It just seems like an odd combo, don't you think? This and the fray. If you love the music, you love the music, you know? I feel like Abigail knows how I feel about the fray, so. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, you know, that is a Christian rock band, so it kind of makes sense that they would be paired up. Oh, was the fray on the same label at Warner Brothers? Uh, well, I don't know the answer to that. We'll look that up and put it in the show yeah, notes. Yeah, we'll do, we'll do some research on that. No, we won't. We know we won't. <laughs> <laughs> We say that and we never do. 
I was going to ask if you actually looked into any more in depth into that, like Christian rock aspect of the band. I didn't because I got the sense that they weren't really happy with that designate, mm-hmm. like that they're not really Christian rockers. I think they got pegged that, Francis, mm-hmm. inadvertently. And they were also saying that Paul Meany was in a band called Earthsuit before that, that was a Christian rock band. And so because of that, oh, okay, they kind of thought that they moved together in that same direction when it became Mute Math or when this new band Mute Math came out. But I would think like you don't necessarily want to do that to kind of pigeonhole yourself in that genre. And honestly, when you read through the lyrics here, I don't feel like there's a big Christian influence. I mean, overall, the album to me reads like young people who struggling with kind of the grind of daily life. And there's some relationship songs on here, but it seems like all early 20s, mid 20s kind of issues. What's my place in the world? How do I break through the doldrums of this life that I'm living? And that doesn't read to me as Christian rock at all. There's no language in here that makes you think about Christianity or religion in any way. So I could see why they wouldn't want to be pigeonholed into that. Mm -hmm. There is one song for me on this album that I think could be interpreted as a religious song, and that's Control, but we'll get to that when we get to it. There is one more thing I want to bring up. One of the songs on this album appeared on American Idol. Did you see that? <laughs> I didn't see that. Which one was it? The band also received some unexpected publicity on American Idol when contestant Chris Sly sang Typical on the show's Top 24 episode. Wow. But there is one more. So when this album was re-released under the Warner Brothers label, it debuted at number 17 on the Heat Seekers chart, which we've talked about many times on the podcast. Right. So I think I'm going to have to start watching that Heat Seekers chart because a lot of the albums that I have assigned to you, Dad, first gained notoriety because they were on the Heat Seekers chart. Yeah, you're more of a heat seeker than I am. I found the whole section on religion. I'll just let me share this real quick and then we'll crack something up. I'm trying to pace myself because we have 14 tracks and only only two beers. Yeah, but I know, I, we'll, be- we'll be able to get through the whole bottle, though, which is. Yes. Well, it's only four and a half percent alcohol, yeah. which means we'll be in control today, which is something, speaking of control, which is something that doesn't generally happen when we do this on Zoom because we go with giant, big ABV cans. <laughs> and by the end of it, we sound uh, like we know less. Uh, so <laughs> Mute Math has resisted being classified as a Christian band, even suing their record label Warner Brothers over being marketed as such. Paul Meany stated in an interview in 2006 that if his previous band Earth Suit, a Christian act, inspired anything, it was what not to do. Drummer Darren King also stated that he does not consider the band to be Christian. So that's part of why there was this controversy over starting the new label and creating the disc that Francis bought. And then when they resolved all that with the Warner Brothers, Warner Brothers put this collection together under the same title with the same graphics and artwork on it. Earth Very Suit cool. is such a great name for a band, especially a Christian band. It makes total sense, right? Earth Suit. Oh, mind blown. All right, Francis. The other thing we gave you control over was the selection of beverages for the day. So tell us a little bit about this. All right. So since moving to Asheville in 2020, I stumbled on this beer that they have in a lot of our establishments around town, and it's ginger beer, which typically when I think of ginger beer, I think of a non-alcoholic ginger beer that you add to something like your Moscow Mules. So to see the ginger beers as an alcoholic option was really amazing because sometimes I don't want to necessarily drink, you know, like a heavy beer or something like that. So this is a really great alternative to that. So Ginger's Revenge is a brewery that is, like I said, here in Asheville, North Carolina. 
And their big thing was to kind of give a throwback to the prohibition days when ginger beer was an option to have. And so the cool thing about this beer is that the co-founder, he was actually a percussionist. So with their bottles, their gimmick is to have created a band. So each of their main beers that they have, and it's four major ones that they have, and then they'll do some like seasonal rotations and things like that, is a member of the band. The OG, which I wanted to share with you all, is... Just like a regular flavor, but it is the percussionist and her name is actually Ginger. Um, I can give you a little background on her as well, because they actually came up with like a whole character profile for these. Oh, that's fun. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. So the flavor of this is actually Peruvian ginger, cane sugar, grapefruit juice, habanero pepper, and spices. And one thing that happens is when I drink this, I sneeze too sometimes. Oh, wow. It's, I don't know. So it's like, it's a great flavor, but... For her, what they did was they created kind of like a song or something. It reminds me of Nikki Giovanni. And so the lyrics are, Leos and fires and beats, oh my. You feel her presence before she arrives. She strides to her set like a queen to her throne. Then a spiritual silence, she gets in the zone. An earthen rumble roils in your chest, builds then bursts into ocean crests. That crash and froth and tumble and swell. She's a storm out at sea that no one can quell. Bass to tom and cymbal to snare. It's the pounding hooves of a wild mare. It's the steady advance of Amazon ranks, 10,000 howls from each of their flanks. The clanging of swords and simmering of mesh meet Ginger. Revenge? She's serving it fresh. Wow. Very cool. Yeah, there's a whole playlist for an album on Spotify. I mean, they've got a whole gimmick. Oh, wow. Now, have you been to the uh, brewery itself? Yep. There's two of them here in Asheville. There's one that's probably about a mile away from me. And that's, I was actually talking to the band and I told them, I, not the band, I was talking to the guys that run it and I was saying that I was going to be on a podcast and they were like, oh, what's the, what's the deal? And I was like, it's a father and a daughter, pops on hops. And he's like, pops on. So I got two more people to listen to. Awesome. Very good. Shout out to y'all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. I'm going to take out my. Our proprietary. Proprietary pops on hops bottle over. Mine is so damaged, it just says pop on hops now. <laughs> it's all rubbed off. We have to find a better way to make those. Yeah, we do. <laughs> for when we uh, market those or get them to our guests. We have a list of people who've appeared on the show, and not anybody has these yet because we make them by hand. So All right. So that's a very clear color. Oh, yeah, it is. I have been looking forward to drinking this all week. So cheers. I'm going to have a sip. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks, Francis, for all your efforts on getting this to us. Mm. Oh, wow. Boy, that's really intense flavor. Wow, yeah. Yeah, this is the original, and they have another one, Lime Agave, but I had to go with the two main players, so I had to get the drummer and the the guitar, so we'll talk about that later. But So you based it on who in the band you loved. Yes, yeah. I would have loved for y'all to try the, the Lime Agave, but I was like, we got to go OG. Well, I really enjoy this. The ginger flavor is very powerful. It's not sweet at all, but I like that, actually. I really appreciate that it's not too sweet. And I feel the spices coming through. I mean, there's a little bit of a tingle in my throat. I haven't sneezed yet, but I have a tissue ready just in case. <laughs> <laughs> got to come prepared. After, I mean, the ginger is the big burst at the front, and then... As that's waning, you get that little bit of habanero. It's there, it's present, but it's not overwhelming. It just adds to that spice mix at the end of that. Now, have you ever made a Moscow mule with these, Francis? Actually, I haven't, no. 
Well, I'm saving the extra ones because that's what Abigail and I are going to do the next time she's home. We're going to have Moscow mules with the remaining bottles. I was just going to say, I think that cranberry one, without having tried it, I think that would probably be amazing in a Moscow mule. I made a really, really nice cranberry mule for a holiday party this past holiday season, and it was so good. I'm excited for y'all to try that one, too. That's going to be very interesting. Well, before we get to that one... How about we start the track by track? So I pulled a bunch of clips, so I'll drive the bus today, Abigail, if that's okay. Absolutely. All right. So I knew nothing about the album. I never read anything in advance of listening, for sure the first time and usually multiple times into it. So I didn't know anything about the band, didn't know anything about what to expect. And so I put this in and the first track that comes on is Collapse. We're going to hear the entire track, which is only one minute and 13 seconds long. I did cheat a little bit on that and faded it toward the end because this goes right into track two. So my only comments about this is, to me, it's prologue to the album, but it's also a prologue to the first three songs. I feel like the first three songs are a song. It would be a very long song. I'm not sure the utility of dividing it into three pieces like this, because this one's instrumental. The third track is, you know, it's got one line repeated. It's essentially an instrumental. And they both blend right into what is substantively the song, track two. And I like the whole package. So I like this. I think it sets the tone for the album because what are we talking about? We're talking about electronic, distorted music and a backbone of drumming. And it really sets the table for that in the entire album. But I just feel like this should just be one song. Interesting. Have either of you listened to the Coldplay album Milo Xyloto? I have heard that. I have not listened to that one a lot because I think you're going to tell me the same thing I'm thinking already, which is it's also like this style of music, right? It's a little more electronica. It is a little more electronica. But when I first put in this album, I immediately thought of Milo Xyloto because they also have short instrumentals sprinkled in between the larger songs and they blend into each other very well. It's almost like a soundtrack kind of sound. There's ambient atmospheric instrumentals that blend perfectly into the actual lyrical songs. And I think that's a really beautiful thing to do on an album. It makes you appreciate the album as a package as opposed to picking out songs from it. So I don't see the beef with splitting these into three separate songs. Although typical could stand on its own, it is enhanced by the two instrumentals slash semi-instrumentals that surround it. And as an opening track, this is fine. Just like you said, the drumming is the most prominent feature. But at the end, 
the sort of electronic sounds that come in at the end and it swells. It sounds like you're getting ready for something big and amazing. It has an anticipatory feeling to the music itself. And I find that really beautiful. And the next song, spoiler alert, typical is my second favorite song on the album. So I know that when this swell of music starts, it's going to end with my second favorite song on the album. So I just get so hyped up (laughs) at the end of this song when it goes into that. It's almost, it feels like the sun rising almost. It's like an angelic sound. So yeah, this is a very nice song to open an album with, in my opinion. Yeah. I wonder if I hadn't seen them in concert and I just stumbled on this and this was the first thing that I heard if I would have the same feel or continue with the album seeing them in concert starting with that and it's almost like a marching band type sound that Darren is playing on the drums it does get you in line like you're ready to to hear what's coming next which I really enjoyed and like you said with that swell towards the end it starts to like trigger something in me that I'm like, oh, okay, we're about to get into it. So it was hard for you to stop it right when you did, Barry. Yeah. I wanted to hear the next song. I feel the same way. And then the vocals where it's kind of like an angelic type sound to it. They mentioned on Wikipedia that there was a throwback to Bjork or kind of like her sound there. And so I was thinking of when she does that type of singing, like in um, Joga, I think is the song that she does where She's just being like melodic and you just hear her voice on that like spiritual sound, angelic sound in the background. And that's what I heard as well before it leads into the next song. So that was my point, Francis, about like I had to stop it because what we're doing is track by track. So to me, the division is arbitrary. Why can't that one minute, 13 second intro be the intro to this gigantic epic song that's coming up second? When you play the album, there is no break there. So you don't really notice it. So it works like a prologue. I'm not belittling the song. I think the song is great. I think some of the instrumentals are a little long and a little repetitive. I think to Abigail's point, this one's not. It's short. It's to the point. leads right into the next song. So to me, it's part of that song. But for anyone who isn't doing what we're doing, like for anyone who doesn't analyze this album track by track, that is completely a non-issue for them. It's only because we have this contrived structure that we have anything to discuss it in this regard. But it makes you wonder why they did it that way. They've made it a point to cut it off there and say, now we're going to track two. So they have something in their head to do that. When you listen to the album, it's irrelevant. So my point is, what was the construct that we had to cut it off there and call this track one? That's all I'm saying. How much shorter would the album be if they turned three songs into one for there? And then I think later in the album, you could have another part where it's put together. I think Break the Same and Obsolete could be one. That's one song, basically. Yes, I agree. And then... I think Stall Out, maybe Reset. I think Reset is the one you're thinking of, Francis, which was off the EP and added to this as part of this expansion of the album. It's the 14th track. It's an instrumental. And you have a song in 13 called Stall Out, which seems like a great way to end it. And then you have a very long instrumental. It's not like a 30-second or a 90-second instrumental like this. It's a whole five-minute instrumental piece. I I don't dislike the song, but it kind of lands with a thud an hour into the album. So... Yeah, I agree with you. I think this album would be tighter with a couple of those instrumentals like Obsolete and Reset maybe dropped from the album, and that would get you down to 12 tracks. And then if you combined these three, you'd be down to 10 tracks, and the album would probably be about 55 minutes, which is still a long album. But because of the nature of this album, if you're sitting and paying attention to it, it runs long. If you put it on and you work, it's fabulous. Yes, agreed. But if you're focused track by track... I think that's where it lends itself to some criticism. But to play it in its entirety as background music is fabulous. Yeah, I was doing that this week. I went to Jersey City for work 
And so on the plane, pop this on, let me listen to it. It was great for me <laughs> for muting out. Thank you, Mute Math. The sound of the plane, the sound of babies crying and whatever else was happening on the flight. And you could just kind of envelop yourself in the music. And I'm, I'm in another state now. So it was perfect for that. Now, if you weren't breaking down the album for a podcast, would you have listened to that on the way up to Jersey City? Is that the one you would have put in or what are you what are you playing that right now? <laughs> What's the big one now? It's all the podcasts. I got to I got to work oh, my brain true. for that. Yeah. So the next song, Dad, Typical, was a single. So I'm wondering if that's why they chose to split it. Could be. Because then the middle part could be released as a single. And again, like I said, it works on its own. It doesn't need the prologue and the epilogue, should we say. So maybe that's why they chose to split it, because, you know, a longer single would be less accessible. And I will say that these first three tracks were unchanged from the original teleprompt version of the album. So this was not where the tinkering began. So this collection that runs as a three-song suite that play very nicely together is exactly the way it was originally. So that does take us to track two, which is uh, apparently a favorite of Abigail, and that's the track Typical. I've lived through my share of misfortune And I've worked in the blazing sun But how long shall it take So this is my on the cusp song, Abigail. Nice. This would be like the number four slot. You know, I had five that I really, really liked and marked off as potential top threes. And this is uh, this one landed at about number four. So did I. I had five that I was choosing from. Well, that'll be interesting to see if we all. I, it's not going to be that case because I have several from the back part of the album, which we already. Oh, you've, okay. You've already, <laughs> you've already dissed the back half of the album. But uh, one thing I will say about this song, it made me look at song titles throughout because they do a very good job of boiling down the essence of the song and the title of their song. So typical, which is the title of this one, is really the theme of the song, right? And it's sort of that dissatisfaction with daily life. How do I break out of the typical? Which I thought was a great way to sum that up in a single word. So I really like that theme. That's where I was saying earlier that I feel like a lot of the issues that they're dealing with or a lot of the themes that they talk about are, you know, young 20-somethings trying to find their place in the world. And this is a great example of that in this particular song. Yeah, I would say the same. Back in the day, I would have probably put this in my top three. But after listening to this a bunch more and now I've actually bumped it back to about that fourth, fifth position as well. But this is where I'm also kind of leaning towards that spirituality, potentially Christian Rocky thing, because the way that he's speaking in this, it's almost like he's pleading to some higher power, like, how can I break this spell? I'm just the typical, what we're really close, but how do we get to that other side, higher power? Like, who else would he be speaking to? I mean, I guess you could just be kind of complaining into the air, but... 
wouldn't it also be helpful to get some help from something, whether it's the universe, whether it's a higher power? I want to break that spell. Well, he does say there's got to be another level, which is an interesting way mm-hmm. to phrase that. Yes, exactly. I didn't think of it in terms of spirituality. I was just thinking of it in terms of like, I'm the worker bee and there's the guy who's the boss bee. How do I get to be the boss? I was thinking of it in terms of that. Because I didn't get an overarching vibe from the whole album that this was a very religious album. So it may be in there and it may be subtle, but it's not outspoken. It's not in your face. But I could see where that would be, let's say, spiritual overtone as opposed to a religious overtone. There's not doctrine in here. There's not, um, what's the other term I'm looking for, Abigail? I don't know. Dogma. Oh, dogma. There's not dogma in this, right? There's just, is there something better out there for me? And that may be a spiritual message. Yeah, but if you keep it subtle, Mm -hmm. then only unless you're reading it with a fine tooth comb going through it, then you're not necessarily going to hone in on it. And I'm going to throw those little pieces out at y'all as we go through this. That's all right. That's your job. That's what I'm here for. Oh, I'm going to sneeze. Hold on. Oh, boy. What, did you just have a sip of... um... No, I didn't. (laughs) Here comes Ginger's Revenge. (laughs) Okay, all right. It's gone. No, you got to sneeze on Mike. No, it's gone. It's gone. Ginger's Revenge is the sneeze, actually. (laughs) So, yes, as I spoiled before this is my second favorite song on the album and it was when i put this in to listen through it was the first one i starred i love the opening guitar riff i think it's just so beautiful and fun and the energy of that riff continues through the rest of the song unlike some of the other songs where i feel one in particular really where the opening guitar is so energetic and big and fun and then they lose that energy in the rest of the song so i appreciate that the energy stays throughout the song also love the lyrics i also interpreted them as the secular capitalist interpretation right <laughs> like fighting to get to the top and and never winning and you know feeling like a worker bee i feel we can all relate to that at some level and yeah i love the chorus the chorus is extremely singable and i have a great time singing along to this one so it's my second favorite did either of you have an opportunity to see the music video for typical no but i read about it okay yeah it reminds me of okay go they are like the music video kings royalty right so they always do something that just either makes you feel like you're a part of whatever is happening in the video, or you're just like, how in the world were they able to accomplish this? So for this music video, they did everything backwards and reverse, and then they played the video in reverse. So it, it appeared as though they were singing the lyrics, they were playing the instruments, but they were actually doing everything in reverse as they recorded. And so it's really interesting. It's great that they went with that, but that's not typical. It's like atypical for them to go in that route. And I absolutely loved it. Love the creativity. So yeah, I'll, I'll go back and watch that. But uh, either way, I'll put it on the page uh, so that folks can go watch that if they're interested in it. Yeah, I think of also the song Work It by Missy, where it's put my thing down, flip it and reverse it. But if you say that backwards, that's that part where she's actually saying something like, however that goes. Yeah, it's and then you play that backwards and it's put my thing down, flip it and reverse it. We're the king and queen of backmasking, Francis. We're all about backmasking. We love that technique. We love hidden messages. Yeah. <laughs> we have several backmasking clips in some of our episodes because of that. Outstanding. So that leads us to track three. Now, I'll say what I said before. I feel like this is an epilogue to the last track we played. This is also very short. So I think the clip is the entire track. And that's the song After We Have Left Our Homes.
like I mentioned before, I feel like it's the outro to the last song. By the way, the only track without the drummer. That's just electronic music for a minute and 20 seconds or whatever it is. So again, I like it because stylistically it fits into the album. Is it necessary on the album? I don't know, in a 65-minute album if it is or it isn't, but... Certainly, if you tagged it onto the last song, that would be a very cool, big song. But to your point, Abigail, if that was one of their singles, you probably can't get away with that. You're not going to be able to release a six-minute single or six-and-a-half-minute single with three movements in it. Right. Particularly as a new band. Yeah, I think this song is lovely. I love the combination of the keyboard, the synth, and then more of those angelic vocals. I think it's just beautiful. I don't have much else to say about it, but I I do think it's lovely. (laughs) It's not much to comment on, right? No, there is not. (laughs) Yeah, there's such a short song. And it's to me, some of these songs do have like this chant mantra type feel to them. And that's what I'm getting from this song where you just chant it, say it over and over again. When do we get to start over? So it's interesting that what he sings is not the title of the song. So we're talking about how the titles really pin down what the theme of the song is and they don't match here. So I wonder what the point of that was as an artist, why you would call it something radically different from what you actually sing in the song. But he's also from New Orleans. That's where Katrina happened. Mm. After we've left our homes, when can we start over? Could there be something there? Yeah, for sure, because yeah. it's 2006. 2005. Five was Katrina. And the album was 2006. So absolutely, I wasn't aware of that, but that connection makes total sense. So that's a two-sentence statement, really, right? Right. Yeah. After we leave our homes. But then does that go into chaos, if you think about it that way? Yeah. Not the chaos, which we're going to listen to next. Like, the lyrics don't necessarily tie into the hurricane, right? These are very personal songs, by the way. There's not storytelling as much as kind of emotional context in the lyrics. Does that make sense? Yeah. Mm -hmm. He's not going to tell a story about what it was to move out of New Orleans after the hurricane, let's say. Yeah. But he's going to give his emotional context to an event like that. The next song, Chaos, coming out of that might make total sense, Francis. And the chaos he's talking about, which is internal, may be related to Katrina, but that's not the way these guys write songs. Mm -hmm. Well, we can move on to track four, which is good because I'm halfway through my Ginger's Revenge and I don't want to have to wait too long to open the second bottle. (laughs) Track, Track number four, which we already alluded to, is called Chaos. It's hard to trust anyone again After all the letdowns I've been through Haunted by what I've been through There's to trap while I still can breathe And I'm screaming out Give me help somehow Yeah, I know, yeah, I know, yeah I know you stay true and my world is false Everything around This is the other one that's in my top five, but it's not one of my top three favorites. I'm listening to that with a different ear now as we played it based on what you just said, Francis, about Katrina. Again, it's a song about, you know, the world is filled with chaos. It seems like his partner's the one anchor in his life, but I didn't have any context for what the chaos might be. Knowing about New Orleans and maybe a connection to Katrina makes the chaos seem more real to me. Again, I was thinking of these things in terms of just emotional buy-in, like life is chaotic. 
and you're my rock. That was sort of the one-two punch. The other thing I will say is you're going to notice I cut a lot of these clips deep in the song. Two reasons for that. One is because it is a very instrumental album. Sometimes the intros are incredibly long on these songs to get to the first lyrics. So you can't really start from the beginning, which is too bad because you miss one of the powers of the album, which is the instrumentation. But the second thing is his second verses seem to be the stronger verses. Hmm. And we've talked about this with some other bands, Abigail, where the yeah. first verse sets the table and the second verse gets to the meat of the issue. And I found this song to be like that too. I thought the second verse was a stronger of the two verses in here and, and got to the crux of the the emotional issue more efficiently. So when I was trying to debate my top three, this was in the mix. This is my third favorite song on the album. <laughs> so yeah, exactly like I said, we're getting all of my favorites out of the way early. I was fascinated by this song when I first put the album in, and I honestly thought this was going to end up in my first favorite spot. Other things shifting around and becoming more my favorites is the reason why this is only my third favorite. But this was a real hook for me in the album in early in my listening to it. I find it interesting. It's most obvious in this song, but it does appear in other songs throughout the album. It seems like the rhythm and the vocals is off slightly. But I don't mind that. I think it's interesting. It gives my brain something to focus on. It keeps me engaged. And so I don't mind that at all. It's just uh, a little quirk about this album, this band maybe that I've noticed. But yeah, I utterly love the song. And I, I find the opening line really funny. Complications, my claim to fame. <laughs> I think a lot of the drumming is syncopated. Yeah. He'll hit something offbeat or he'll do something a little different throughout. And because it is the backbone of all the songs, it's really interesting to try to follow that. In a song like Chaos, lining the vocals up out of sequence a little bit with the percussion and the rhythm section just adds to the level of chaos, right? I mean, it makes you more uncomfortable yeah. in a song that's about chaos. Yeah, this is actually my second favorite song. Nice. Yeah, the way it starts, it kicks off that drum hit and then you kick into the actual song. It just gets me hyped. This too, I can see the spiritual aspect because again, you have the pleading and they're talking about while I still breathe, while I'm here kind of on this plane, I'm screaming out, you have to give me hope because I don't know what kind of hope you're going to get from another person, especially when he's saying like, my sight is lost. Mm. I need something else. And then like, you're the only truth when the world is false. And that's that big T truth, which could be a spiritual entity, the universe or something like that. But you could also take it back and be secular with it and say it's another person because some of these songs, I can't get a spiritual feel from it. But you can have both worlds. I'm sure both can be true. But then also when you get into that syncopated aspect you were talking about, I like the song Take Five and Take Another Five where it's like one, two, one, two, three, one, two, one, two, three. And it's kind of off like that. And this gives me that feel that I just... I like the weirdness of the beat in this. So I'm comfortable in this chaos. I think your point about the writing being vague allows it to be subject to interpretation, right? You can come at it with a secular eye. You can come at it with a spiritual eye and get two different things out of that. Because again, looking back on it, you're right. Who is he turning to for that support? Who is his anchor? Right. In my mind, I defined it as a partner. And in your mind, you defined it as a spiritual entity of some sort. And I think if you used words like save me, I mean, there are certain words that you could use that would lend itself more to a religious interpretation or spiritual interpretation. And he doesn't use a lot of those words, which makes it, to me, better because it doesn't steer you in a direction. It allows anybody who's listening to it to bring their own experience to it and interpret it in their own way and make it meaningful for them 
And so that's great songwriting because it makes it accessible for anybody, regardless of their religious background. Yeah, I want them to be successful. Right. <laughs> so I'm like, make sure you can get the most out of what you're putting out there. And so if you do say that you're Christian rock, people will just pass you off because they don't want to hear that. So respect to them. However, they're writing these lyrics. I get what I get out of it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it, I think the reason why it's so open to interpretation is because a lot of Christians, their religion focuses on them having this personal relationship with God. And so you can interpret some of these lyrics as a personal relationship, right? Whether that is with your God or with another person on earth, it still rings true no matter which way you're going to read it. But I don't think about that much. So I have, right. <laughs> I do have to have that pointed out to me sometimes. <laughs> you can you yeah, it's calibration. You're not calibrated for it. That's all good. I'm a fallen angel. So I um, I have, I, I attended uh, Catholic school for 12 years, including four years of high school with Augustinian monks. But I have, as they say, left the flock. So I don't think in terms of those things, even though I've had that experience and had had a lot of religious education over my lifetime, that's how far I've fallen. I mean, I fell hard and deep <laughs> <laughs> right off the cliff, baby. Oh, no. oh, man. So now that we know all my personal foibles, let's move on to track five. <laughs> Noticed. beats per minute that that drummer is playing there is just mind-numbing <laughs> to me. I can't imagine trying to play something that fast. Francis was keeping up with her air I drumming. I know. I'll lift that video clip for the... For the <laughs> there'll, there'll be an Instagram story out of Francis's air drumming. And bouncing. Lots of bouncing. <laughs> <laughs> I can't. My chair's making too much noise to bounce today. This is my second favorite song. Nice. This was the first song I got to where I realized just what an amazing drummer this guy is. And I could see why I had to tape headphones to his head. So, yeah, I really like this song. It just seems to me like... Now, I'm going to give you my humanistic approach to it, but it just seems like an up-tempo love song to me. Like, we're five songs in. This is the most positive song on the album so far, right? Yeah. This guy's got a great attitude here, and he's very excited about this relationship, which I'm going to say is with a human. You can all correct me if I'm wrong. But to me, this was just a great up-tempo love song, and I really, really enjoyed it. So, number two on my list. I'm going to count this as a match, Dad, because this is my favorite song on the album. All right. And interestingly, this one totally moved up the chain. The first time I listened to this album, I didn't mark this song with a star. Didn't even 
bump on it. And the more I listened to the album, the more I really, really grew to love this song. I think just what you said, it is so positive, so beautiful, so happy. It makes me feel happy when I listen to it. And it's describing such an interesting phenomenon, which is you don't really feel your heart beating most of the time until it has a reason to beat a little harder and a little faster. And that's when you notice it. And for this narrator, for this character, I guess he never got his heart rate up. Maybe he never exercised in his whole life, but um, <laughs> he never got his heart rate up until he met this person who he is singing about. And I think that's just a really lovely sentiment and a really interesting way to describe the feeling of falling in love. It's like noticing your heart for the first time. So yeah, this is my favorite. I love it so much. Oh, that's so great. Like, so for me, this song did not make my top three, but in my older age, it's it's definitely climbing up those ranks. When I was younger and I heard this, it was interesting because I was like a robot when I was in college. So I really wasn't the type to be like, oh, emotions and all that good stuff. <laughs> but listening to this, I was like, oh, I can kind of see it. And so then now as I'm actually older and like things do happen, I'm in a relationship and stuff. I'm like, it's it's hitting me. I'm feeling this. I never noticed my heart before. Like you were saying, Abigail, there's something that's like kicking it up and you get those butterflies and you're feeling that quick little like rush, that jolt where you're like, oh my gosh, I never noticed this before until I noticed you. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, this is definitely a great song. It's funny how uh, age, or I'll say experiences maybe, that's better than saying age. True. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny how experiences will change what a song means to you over time and how that changes your interpretation of things through that lens. So I could see where a lot of these songs, while you're in college, a lot of these sort of finding my place in the world and why is life such a grind would resonate with you more at that age group and how the more emotionally charged songs and relationship songs might pop later on in life. Anything else on that? Man, we're cranking it out today. We yeah. are. <laughs> well, good thing, because we've got a lot of songs to review. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> but some of them are little blips, so it's it's not as bad. But We've already covered two of the blips, right? Yeah. So, Abigail, I think you're done, right, with the uh, your top three? We're five songs My in and you're off. My top three are done. Wow. wow. I still have a number four and a number five, because like I said, I did star five songs. We'll see if they're the same as the ones I raised I to guess, the top yeah. of the back <laughs> <laughs> the All right, we're moving along to track six now. Track six, I think Francis may have mentioned this track. This is called Plan B. Days are slipping through my hands. I'm holding on a sinking sound. But to make it worse, I made a mess. Can you make any sense of this?
Go ahead, Francis. You seem you're ready. <laughs> yeah, I just once it started to get into that, like the synthesizer, the the keyboard part. Where I cut it off. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but that tapped into my piano life back in the day. So I was like, okay, now I'm into that point where they're about to do the keyboard breakdown. But for this song, Plan B on my list was my third favorite song. Nice. So again, back in that day, I went to a music store and I bought drumsticks. And so I would just bang on the walls in my dorm room, which are always that painted concrete. Oh my gosh. So it was really great for like rolling the drums. And so I was just always rolling it like, oh yeah, I'm pretty much Darren King. So that probably also made people annoyed with me too. <laughs> but we can't like not acknowledge Greg Hill, who is the guitarist on these as well. You had mentioned him earlier where he just kicks off with the, the typical. guitar riff. Typical. For this, you're getting that same like guitar feel and it is just hitting. It's getting you into the song. And again, I think uh, this is kind of a little... Uh, spiritual. If you want to go in that route, the days are slipping through my hands. I'm holding on and sinking sand. There's a mess. Can you make any sense of this? Who's going to be the person if it's not, again, the universe or some other entity that's going to help? So somebody needs to mend it all. They need to fix this. Yeah, I was going to say, come mend it all. All I've torn, all I've run to the ground, broken down. That is very redemption-y kind of language. So I completely can see the religiosity poking through in this one. But I also see the Katrina references now that you said that, right? I never put that eye on it before. I mean, if he's in New Orleans during Katrina, his whole life's been ripped apart, right? It's pretty powerful when you put it in that context to put that overarching thing that he was potentially in New Orleans during Katrina and that that may be the basis of a lot of the songs about the chaos and the falling apart in his life related to one single event. So yeah, it's, you know, it's a song about, to me, just, you know, the struggles of the world and, and trying to make sense of it. And how do I improve myself or how do I improve my circumstances? This is probably my fifth favorite at the end of the day. I really like this one. And now that you've said the Katrina stuff, it especially the part where he says, plan B, plan C, watch it go. Like it takes something pretty catastrophic catastrophic in order to wipe out that many possibilities for your life in one fell swoop, right? So yeah, that's a good read, Dad. And again, I didn't read it that way the first time. I'm kind of looking at these things through a different eye now because Francis said that. I would have had a different interpretation of this whole album had I made that connection up front. Mm -hmm. I'm glad you brought that up, Francis, because it's really some of that's built in there intentionally or unintentionally. It gives a, the songs for me now a little deeper meaning even knowing that backstory. The other thing about this one is, you know, we were talking about how the titles sum everything up. The plan B thing here is interesting to me as a title because he only references at one time at the very beginning of the song and he actually skips on to plan C in the same sentence. Right. Yeah. Why pick B? Yeah. Commend it all. That's what I thought this would have been called. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mend it all or something like that, as opposed to plan B. Might have helped if he called it mend it all, too, because I had a hard time in just listening to it before I got the lyrics out, knowing that he was saying mend. It's really tricky to hear him say that word. Yes, I had no idea. <laughs> right? <laughs> You're totally right. Because it could be commend it all. Like, <laughs> I'm commending everything you've done. Commend it all. My first thought was commit to all. Ah, and I had no interpretation of that. This was at the stage where I was just listening to listen, right? But yeah, I was singing it as commit to all for a very long time before I actually <laughs> pulled out the lyrics and read them. And see, I was trying to be like you. I was listening to a couple of your episodes and I learned that, that that's what you do. But I think you guys have a better ear than I do. I'm much more musically inclined. Like I just like to hear what the instruments are doing. 
and I was like, no, I need the cheat sheets. <laughs> like, because <laughs> I don't hear the lyrics necessarily. Now, this I've been listening to for almost 20 years now. So, of course, I've got them a little bit better, but I still wanted to go back and just say, no, I need to cheat. <laughs> a little bit more. I'm not to your level. I find that exercise with the lyric sheets very helpful. I get a lot out of that and I'm glad that I do it. For an album like this in particular, I learn a lot by reading those lyric sheets. And there's another level for me, which is my enjoyment of a song increases tenfold the second I can sing along to it. So knowing at least the chorus lyrics is very important for me to develop an emotional connection to a song. So I tend to pick up choruses pretty easily. Whether I truly process what the lyrics mean is another thing, but I do tend to pick up lyrics, especially in choruses, relatively easily because I have to sing along. It's in my nature. <laughs> and it allows you to commit to it all, apparently. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> commit to it all. <laughs> I'm the same as you, Abigail. Like I'll say words and I have no idea what I'm necessarily saying, but I'm I'm with it. So Yeah. Yeah. It's so funny how we can like the break in the processing chain, right? Between mm -hmm. actually knowing the words and understanding the meaning, even exactly. if the lyrics are simple, there's there's something there that takes, you know, a little bit more time to connect. Exactly. That's why I read them. And you're a very, I mean, you're like a poetry literature type of guy too. Right. So you well, like, that's the other reason I do it too, right? In high school, this is what we did every literature class, you know, read a poem and you'd have to sit and defend your position on a- Rhetorical 18, analysis. <laughs> yes. 18 line poem. So- In Catholic school? Yeah, man. Wow. Catholic school. Yeah. And those Augustinian monks are a little more secular than you'd think. <laughs> Well, that moves us to about the halfway point of the album. We're going to go to track number seven now, which is called Stare at the Sun. This is a very mysterious song to me. The keyboard sound, talking about staring at the sun, makes me think of a satellite ping. And I'm kind of on the fence of whether I like it or don't like it, the way it's put together. I think overall, I like it. You know, this many songs into the album, that musical intro is a little bit odd in the construct of the album. But overall, I, I mostly liked it. I'll take the secular viewpoint. I feel like this is two people that just are arguing constantly and there's no point in this. It's just like staring at the sun, burning my eyes out, I think is one of the lines on here at some point. The sky is always wondering, what are these arguments about? You'd think we would notice our eyes are burning out. 
But again, I thought that was two people in a relationship that wasn't going well. And the narrator was just completely frustrated by that. And was, what's the point? And with that, I'll defer to Francis, who will school me on what it actually means. To me, this sounds more of the relationshipy point. But again, they're staring up at the sun. So they're looking up to the sky again. For what? But I do see that this leans a little bit more towards that relational aspect. The fact that they seem to constantly get into these fights or they're not necessarily good for each other. And they just keep repeating the same patterns. Why haven't we learned by now that this isn't good for us, but we just like to stare at the sun and we know it's like you said, burning our eyes out. So this did not hit on my list, but it does have like a great sound to it. And like you said, too, with the sounds like it's like a raindrop or something that boom, 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 boom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I was thinking in terms of space. So it made me think of satellite pinging. Or like a radar sound. That sounds like the radar. Yeah, yeah something along those lines to tie into the space theme. So it's a complex song musically. You know, it's kind of a slow burn, but it's got that odd keyboard thing that drives through the whole song. Not quite a rhythm section, but you're not going to call that a melody. It's part of the rhythm section in this regard, the way it's played. Yeah. And it's just a really interesting sound. And it's such a complicated sound that I had, you know, sometimes I'd listen to it and go, wow, I really like this. And sometimes I'd listen to it and go, wow, I don't, I'm sure I like this. And I think that when we're going to have this conversation with the next song, because this goes into the next song, because that yeah. really seems like it's part of this song. And I'm not sure how to interpret that. It goes from this to a song called Obsolete mm-hmm. that really could be one song. So this is a bit of an odd construct because it moves into the next piece. I think of all of the non-instrumental tracks, this one sounds the most like an instrumental. It's very atmospheric. The drums almost sound like rolling hills to me. They kind of have an ebb and a flow to them. And then when those plinky keyboard notes come in, I just really love that. If anything spiritual can be tied into these lyrics, I think it's more of a loss of spirituality, of staring at the sun, right? Seeking something above you and not finding anything, just seeing a glare. But yeah, I don't think this one is particularly oozing religiosity. I think it has a really, really beautiful, lovely sound. I I happen to love this song. It's not in my top five, but I really like how it sounds ambient and atmospheric, even though there are lyrics to it. And I think part of that is because his vocals in this one sound kind of distant and they're softer. It sounds like he's singing from farther away. Like it feels like there's a distance between the, you know, the mic and the singer. And so it just Nothing raises above a particular volume level. It's just very consistent and smooth and ambient. And I really love that. To your point, Dad, it gets taken into the extreme when it gets extended out into this gigantic instrumental. And so for me, the next song, Obsolete, is where this album really loses momentum for me. The album like just crashes to a halt for me, and it's hard for me to pick up the momentum to really engage with the rest of the album. Yeah, those two songs, you know, this one is four and a half minutes and Obsolete is four and a half minutes. If you put them together, it'd be a nine minute song and it's right smack in the middle of the album, right? It's seven and eight. Right. And it is like an intermission. Yeah. But I get my momentum back on the back half of the album because there's several songs on the back half that I absolutely adore. Either move these around or eliminate them or something to shorten the album up and tighten it up because it is 14 tracks. It's a lot of music. Yeah. And I don't think you need an hour and seven minute album. Like, I don't think that's necessary. Do they 
have a throwback though, because some of this does seem like it's jammy music. So for those types of bands, they just go for like long periods of time and play. And you think of somebody like Quincy Jones, where he can start a whole song, walk on by, has like a complete long instrumental before Isaac Hayes actually starts with walk on by's lyrics. And so you have just a whole song prior to the actual song. So that could be what they were going for with these types of like drawn out instrumentals and just get lost in the music for a little bit. Yeah. And again, the disadvantage for what we're doing today is we're hyper analyzing it. And so it's hard to get lost in the music when you're breaking down each individual track <laughs> in super detail. Yeah. Whereas if you were playing this in the background and you did get lost in it, like I've done at work several times this week, you don't think about it. I don't have a problem with these songs if I'm working and it's playing. And even that, Dad, the back half of this album for me works great as working music. It's fabulous. But when we get to typical and chaos and notice, I I can't work when those songs are playing <laughs> because I'm jamming and I'm singing along. Agreed. So this album doesn't really work for me either way, right? Like the first half, I need to listen. I need to be singing along and I need to be dancing along. The second half works great as background working music. So what I need to do truly is I just need to take a chainsaw to this album <laughs> and listen only to the last seven tracks when I'm working because it is that really nice ambient soft, calm music that does fade nicely into the background and I can work with that on and then only listen to the first half of the album when I'm driving or something like that because I can't focus when those songs are playing. That's interesting because the music is distorted and electronic and has those kinds of elements to it. So I don't have any problems working with any of that in the background. Interesting. I don't quote unquote dance in my chair at work. So maybe that's the issue. Wow. I, uh, yeah, yeah no. that is. I can't work. If I'm tight, I will be working and writing out like mend it all instead yeah. of reading out what I need to in my <laughs> in my work. <laughs> well, as much as I hate to do this, we can't really move on to track eight, which is really an extension of track seven till we rate this ginger beer and move on to the next one. I'm so excited for the next one, but I love this one too. I guess we have to explain it. Do we have to explain? Yeah, the, I don't know. <laughs> oh, yeah. We have to explain the house <laughs> rules. So we rate on untapped, which is a five point scale from zero to five. In quarter point increments. Quarter point increments. We usually suggest that you pick a point that would be your, I would drink this again. Didn't love it. Didn't hate it. I would drink it again. Abigail uses three. I use three and a half. But whatever that number is, if it's below that, which tells you, I wouldn't drink this one again. And then above that in quarter point increments to uh, basically define how much you like it. So is that like 0.25? Yeah. If you say my middle ground is three, you could give something a 3.25, a 3.75, four and a quarter. Gotcha. The issue we're all going to confront today is I've not had a lot of ginger beer. Nor I. So uh, I don't know how to... Yeah, to rate it against. Yeah, I don't have a good comparison, but these are rated. I believe it untapped. So we have to be accurate today. The last thing I was going to say is I've never had ginger beer that didn't involve other ingredients in a Moscow mule. So I'm drinking bare ginger beer today, which I don't think I've ever done before. You've never just had a can of ginger beer? No, I don't think so. I have. And the ginger beer that you can get in Publix and stuff, it's non-alcoholic, obviously, but it is significantly sweeter than this. And I love that this is a dry ginger beer because it really, really lets the flavor of the ginger shine. I'm giving this a 4.0. 
I don't have much to say about it other than that it is fabulous. I've been looking forward to this all week and I could not be more impressed. It's delicious and I can't wait to try the next one. So for me, I'm picturing it in my head because of what everything you just said, Abigail, I'm putting it in the goes category. Oh, that's fair. Yeah. A lot of herbs or a lot of spices and it is dry. And I love that little hint of pepper at the end. And I'm also giving this a 4.0. All right. Now, Francis is staring at us like, where do I go from here? Well, what's your halfway point? What are you going to call your halfway point? That I would drink it again is my halfway point? Yeah. I would say three. That's how so I do you're, it. You're working in Abigail's criteria. Yeah. Straight in the middle. And I, I'm also kind of weird. I, ju- I would just drink <laughs> whatever. If you put it in front of me, it's like, all right. <laughs> Did I pay for it? I'm definitely drinking it, whether I'm holding my nose or... <laughs> well, you're not but... going to throw it away, right? That's the point. Yeah. No, that's wasteful. Exactly. And we were all raised on, you know, waste not, want not. Waste not, want not. With that being said, sorry, three of a kind. I was going to say four as well. Wow. But see, I have the reference for the Ginger's Revenge family. So they go up and down. I'm anxious to hear what you consider a down from that. Better not be this cranberry. <laughs> it's not. They do micro Mondays and they had one that was just like, I couldn't even drink it because it was Serenaro peppers or something and ghost peppers. Oh, Serenaro. Oh, yeah. Oh, too hot. And I'm trying to drink it and I was dying. I felt so bad because I don't return stuff. I drink it. But this one, I was like, I'm sorry. I can't. <laughs> so How about that? I wanted to ask, Francis, of all the flavors you've had from this place, I assume you've had some of their seasonal ones too. I was looking at their seasonal list and some of those just look unreal pear rosemary high basil like i've got a vanilla chai which is fantastic downstairs i have an orange chocolate that's also a really good one so do you have a favorite that you've ever tried from here i would say it's the lime agave because that's just a good solid like you know what you're getting every time but this next one is christmasy time it's something that you always run into and, and it's interesting so Shall we? Yes, please. I've already poured mine because I want to show the difference in color. Whoa, that's beautiful. Isn't that gorgeous? All righty. So here we have our cranberry herb. This is a refreshing blend with cranberry juice, sage, rosemary, and thyme. So this is going to give you a little bit more of a like, I don't know, your house garden kick (laughs) as opposed to it being more cranberry-esque. And so for this story, this artist is playing the guitar, and they're classically trained. They identify as they, and irresistibly unorthodox, a playful creative who's serious about environmental stewardship. Meet Cranberry Herb, our free-spirited, community-oriented guitar shredding sensation. Fans know them best for their electrifying solos. We love them most for their unbridled authenticity. So when they're not delighting us with funky renditions of 80s hits or dazzling you with effervescent performances, Cranberry Herb is contributing to the local climate and LGBTQ plus advocacy efforts, caring for their beloved houseplants, and proving that dance floor is nothing but a state of mind. Cranberry Herb. Cheers. 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 Oh, my God. Yeah. My initial impression is I like that one better than the last one. Oh, my God. It smells very herby. I know, Dad, you can't participate in that. No. (laughs) You would be correct. The herbs are extremely prominent. Mm -hmm. It has a fruity flavor. I'm not sure I can identify it as cranberry, but the herbs are extremely prominent. I can definitely taste sage and I can definitely taste rosemary. So that's very impressive. Can you smell the cranberry though? I kind of can smell it. That's a great question. Let me see. Not me. 
We reviewed that. I can't. I do get a fruity smell in there. Got to power past the herbs, though. <laughs> yeah, you do. Francis, I don't think you mentioned this, but this also in my bottle says habanero pepper. And I'm not getting as much of that in this one as I did the last one. Oh, yeah. Look at that. Yeah. I think that's probably just because it's in the original blend. I would imagine like these flavors are just the original blend with bonus ingredients. Yeah. And they build it on top. Yeah. Dad, I clicked the playlist that Ginger's Revenge shared on their website for Cranberry Herb. And two songs we've reviewed make an appearance. Dog Days Are Over by Florence and the Machine and Yoshimi Battles the Pink Robots by the Flaming Lips. Oh, another jukebox episode. Back to back, too. That's two and three on the list. So each artist has their own playlist. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. Yeah, we definitely have to put that in the show notes. Yeah, these are very fun playlists actually. Yeah, I didn't even notice until today. We could have reviewed the playlists. Oh my gosh, yeah. Another episode. Weird Science is on there by Oingo Boingo. I love that. Well, that's really good. I'm going to drink that one faster, so. Yeah, this is outstanding. I love this. <laughs> when they say this is what the flavor should be, you're going to taste the flavors in their ginger beer. All right. So coming out of our intermission from our intermission, let's move on to track number eight, which I will contend is really part of track seven. And that's the track entitled Obsolete. So this is aptly titled, this track's obsolete. This is my least favorite song on the album. Oh, snap. <laughs> I had to pick one. I think this is beautiful. I think it's part of the last song. I think both halves of this drag the album down as much as I like them. So if I wanted to make a tighter album, I think both of these I would get rid of. Or I would make it one song because what you just heard, that basic pattern stays and it devolves. It gets more um, chaotic, a little bit more chaotic toward the end. Yeah, a little distorted. And I like that a lot, but it's four and a half minutes of that. And so, you know, this is Pops on Hops. This is Pops on Hops, where, where no one is safe. Where nobody's safe. And this is the one I'm getting rid of. This is my least favorite song. And it's also part of what I would toss to make this album tighter and more efficient. That's my story. I'm sticking to it. Go on and attack me. I'm not going to attack you. I think that's a very valid call. I agree that if this song were made into a long outro for Stare at the Sun and then reduced in length. 90 seconds of it. Right, right. Because I agree with you. I do like the devolution throughout, but we could get there faster. So I don't say eliminate the song entirely, and it's not my least favorite on the album. But yeah, combine it with track seven, shorten it a little bit, and you're good. I don't think it's obsolete, dad. <laughs> <laughs> 
I would agree with that as well, because you could take the beginning of it because that is the transition from stare at the sun. And then at the end, you have a nice transition into break the same. So if you just condense that, there is a part around like 340 where there's, again, that haunting sound, that vocals that pops in. But yes, 340 that you have to get to to get that. So if you like instrumentals, if you don't mind just hearing music playing in the background, this is for you. But if you do want more of that like hard hitting beats, guitar riffs and all that, this isn't it. Then I do like that. That's not my complaint. I feel like in this particular album with the sort of driving drum that's been established as like the main feature of the album, that this really becomes like a speed bump in the album, this nine minute package, the two songs together. I don't know if that's fixable in the middle of the album because the whole package is slow. It's a 65 minute album. If you took this out, it would be a 56 minute album. You're already under an hour. Right. And now you're at 12 tracks. I do like the lyrics though of Stare at the Sun. So I would want to keep that. I do too. But I think there's a better candidate to remove than this pair. I can't wait to hear it. Well, it's going to be reset. I know where she's going with this. That's my prediction. <laughs> I was looking at her reaction to see if I was right. She's keeping such a <laughs> poker face, though. I love it. I take sparse notes on paper. But the one note I wrote for this song was beginning of my attention span issues. <laughs> my ADD starts here. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. All right. Now, some of my favorite songs are coming up. Abigail's finished, but I have lots to talk about as we move into the remaining six tracks. And we're going to start with track number nine, Break the Same. I want to point out is that the tempo on this track, the actual pacing of the track is no different than two tracks ago, but the instrumentation's more intense and the drumming is way more intense. The only thing that gives you the illusion that this track is moving faster than two songs ago is the drumming. So it's not a tempo thing with these guys because they can get an intensity out of the song anyway, even if it's a slow paced song. One of the great lines of this album is in this song. It's the sticks and stones that wear us down that often save our lives. Mm. To me, it's in that vein of, you know, I'm living this sort of day-to-day -day grind. How do I get out of it? What do I do differently? And this is sort of the, what is it? Uh, no pain, no gain is an easier way to say that, right? What doesn't kill us makes us stronger. That's another way to say it. But I like this way of saying it better. This is a way more artsy way to say the very same thing. So I do like the song. The other thing I just want real quick, I want to say about the title, Break the Same. There's a little bit of a double meaning there, right? At first read, you would say we all break the same way. 
But the other way to look at that is how do I break the sameness? Mm. So that's interesting to me about how all of us can break inside the same way, but there's something about us also that can break the sameness and achieve a greater thing. Kind of like atypical. Yeah. It's very much like atypical. And that's why I was saying it's thematically that overarches through the whole album, right? So if you read those two things that way, and I was reading it again from a humanistic approach, you know, if you take Francis' interpretation, some of this has a little more of a spirituality to it. Those two interpretations work with that as well, which I hadn't thought of before we started this conversation. Agreed. I think since that second story has been told already on this album in Typical, I really like the first interpretation of how the mighty have fallen, right? When we're at our lowest, we're all the same. Doesn't matter how much money you have if you're at your rock bottom, right? We're all the same when we are struggling. And I think that is an important message that I don't think gets communicated enough and that we don't really think about all that much. I do like this song. However, this is the main one I have beef with because the intro is so intense and powerful. And while that energy reappears a little bit in the choruses, the verses don't have that energy. When you start off with such an amazing intro, like this song has, I wish that that continued throughout the song because I get so pumped up when I hear this intro. And then the choruses are slow and soft, just like stare at the sun, just like you were saying, dad, and I lose the momentum again. So I think, right, I'm back into it. We're getting back in the groove of the album and it gets cut short. And so... I don't dislike the song. It's not my least favorite. I just, it's an opportunity for me to get back in the flow of the album that is missed for me. And it's disappointing in that way. Well, let me ask you a quick question. If the preceding two songs were not here, the two slower ones, right? and you went right into this one, even though it has those kind of intensity shifts, would you have as big a problem with this song? I don't think you'd have the same reaction to the song if the other nine minutes were missing. I think you're probably right. If Obsolete were missing, Stare at the Sun, I think on its own is fine. That four and a half minutes, I think I could overcome, right? If Obsolete weren't there, who knows, right? But I might not have this reaction. And even if Obsolete were a little shorter, I might not have this reaction. Lot of digest. Seriously. Just more evidence for your resequencing. I know that's why you asked me that question. <laughs> if this came after plan B, yeah. I mean, would that hit? Yeah, even that. If this came after plan B, I think that would be a great spot for it because plan B is so intense. And then this starts off really intense. And it kicks up again, like around 225, and we all freak out. Right. Like that gets that hype again. And then there's a musical interlude around 249. But that changes the beat. Wow, she's got timestamps. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the airplane will do that to you. <laughs> she really did her, her research. <laughs> I did. I didn't even show it to you. I didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> I had the little pad. I'm like writing in the dark all like. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, I was coming on with y'all. I needed to be on top of my game. I didn't want to embarrass myself. Oh, my gosh. That's so cute. <laughs> I love my little notebook. It's so worn. Like, it's so worn down. But I love it <laughs> that so is much. fabulous. Yeah, this didn't um, place on my list, but I enjoy it all the same. All right. Going to move on now to track number 10. Track number 10 is You Are Mine. Defines the meaning of it. 
I think this is a lovely song musically. I love the drumming on this one. Even though it's a slower tempo song, the drummer's back there still doing all that. I mean, beats per minute again, if you listen to that, is pretty impressive. I have a little bit of problem with the lyrics on this, though, because it's on its face, it's a love song. Now, I chose that verse for a very specific reason, because there's this sort of dominant language in that that makes me a little uncomfortable. Prized possession. Prized possession, yeah, is the big one. That's exactly what I circled a ago. Everyone has their obsession. Consuming thoughts, consuming time. They hold high their prized possession that defines the meaning of their lives. That seems very one-sided to me. Now, the second verse is softer, but the third verse is this one repeated. So he doesn't learn over time. Like if each one of these verses had progressively moved from that to a more equal footing on the two partners in the relationship, I'd have had less of a problem with it. But the fact that he comes back to that dominance language, that bothered me. So as much as I think this is beautiful musically, I'm not really into the lyrics on this one. So this is toward the bottom for me. Completely agree. Not just that the relationship seems one-sided, but like, is it really healthy for your relationship to define the meaning of your life? That kind of rubs me the wrong way. And the prized possession thing, I <laughs> like that's obviously a red flag. But I agree with you. This, this song is beautiful. It's ambient. It's atmospheric. It's all the lovely things we've talked about already on this album. Again, this is on the side of the album that I play in the background when I'm working. And the lyrics aren't really that important in that context. So I don't mind it from that aspect. Francis brought up earlier that some of these songs are kind of like chants or mantras. And this feels like that. You Are Mine repeats so many times throughout the song. Like Those are the main lyrics of the song, really. And so if you're just listening to it in the background and this is a chant, it's fine. You don't really need to pay attention to the lyrics. But once you do, it's a little sketchy. <laughs> Yeah, because you are mine when you say prized possession has a completely different meaning than if it's an equal footing relationship and you say you are mine. Right. So even the you are mine takes a darker tone when you use the word possession. Yeah. Again, for me, I'm, I'm the same. It was hard hitting, like Abigail was saying, on the first half. And then it kind of flips over to this more like slower pace on the second half. When I was younger, I didn't really care too much for the romantic songs as much. So this one was more of a turnoff. There are like four lyrics in this that are not you are mine. Right. So you do have to go through that chant. But now I don't mind it as much spiritually. What if we were talking about the obsession is this religious aspect, this spirituality, that's my obsession. It does consume my thoughts. It does consume my time. And it is my prized possession that I hold these thoughts dear to me. And it's defining my life that I do hold these things dear. And so people have their obsessions. My obsession might be my spirituality. And I'm just holding on to that. That's mine. That's it if you want to go in that route. But it could also be a relationship, which I do see as well. So not a lot to this song. It's pretty simple. <laughs> but if you do think about it in that aspect, you can add some more depth to it. And I think it's probably a little less problematic if you think of it. From... Exactly. It makes more sense for someone to define their relationship with God as the meaning of their lives because religion gives people meaning, gives life meaning for a lot of people. And that makes more sense than making another mortal person that you're in a relationship with the meaning of your life. Unless you're fanatical. <laughs> if you're fanatical religious, right, <laughs> lean to that as well, then that could be problematic. But yeah, I, I agree with that. And I would lean in and say, I don't think these guys are fanatical religious people. I mean, I think that's why they fought that designation from their label. They may be spiritual, but I don't get that 
fanaticism from the lyrics and also from the little bit that I read about them. I don't think that's their stated position. But you're right. If you say, I'm discussing my God in this song, that takes a completely different meaning. And then that I'm consumed by you, you are mine. I was going to say control, though. I was like, but, but is it about control? And then I looked up like, oh, shoot, the next song is control. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, shoot. It's kind of the opposite in the next song, right? The partner's the one who has all the control. Maybe that's why they keep staring into the sun. Oh, these poor people. <laughs> well, that takes us to track number 11. And that is, as Francis mentioned, control. This is my third favorite song on the album. Good choice. I think the writing on this is very clever, right? And Abigail will recognize when I say, I like when an artist takes a theme and then builds a song around that theme. And in here, it's sort of weather. I mean, atmosphere is the big word, but there's references to other weather phenomena in here as the metaphor for this love story. And I love when an artist does that and kind of fits everything into that kind of pattern. So this moved up my list because of the writing on it. But I love the music. And as a bonus... I have an entry into the Abigail Hummel School of Speaking Smartly About Music. Oh, my God. Now, Frances may not be familiar with this. I mean, I think she is. She's probably heard this on the show. But I'm working on my PhD, Frances, at the Abigail Hummel School of Speaking Smartly About Music. And it's never going to end. She won't approve any of my theses. But today's thesis is that this reminds me of a song that you're going to recognize for so many reasons, Abigail. And this is Times Like These by the Foo Fighters. I would like you to pull that up and go to about minute 140. Are we going to tell all the stories about this song? I don't know. That's up to you. Yeah. 
on the same page? Am I any closer to my degree? I totally hear it. And choosing that song definitely helped. I love that song. I have a very personal connection to it, of course. Well, why don't you share with Francis what that personal connection is? Because it's pretty cool. Okay, so I grew up in Southern California in Los Angeles County, and I did a fair bit of acting when we lived there. And I was cast in a pilot episode for a TV show called Roads Home that did not get picked up, but this was the theme song for the show. <laughs> and I played the main character's younger sister in the pilot. So if the show had been picked up and I had continued to be cast, it would have been like an actual TV show that I would have been a main character on. So I love this song very much. That's awesome. Anyway, that's my entry. And I certainly hope I get another, do I get credit? Am I moving towards my degree? Okay, good. The thing is, Dad, as long as we're doing the podcast due to the conceit of the bit, we can never give you the PhD. So yeah, that's jumping the shark if you do. But this was a wonderful contribution. Thank you. So that reminded you of Foo Fighters. For me, I'm getting like huge U2 feels from them singing and then having the like guitar underneath it. And it's an elongated song. I didn't do deep dive research into it. I always think of like Elevation though. Oh. That era U2. Wow. This is not one of my favorites, but I do enjoy it. And of course, course it's got the nice drum rift underneath it and i still i adore everything you realize i had competition for my degree now i gotta be <laughs> I, gotta, I gotta up my game it's interesting you said that francis because i got you two vibes from an earlier song i can't remember which one it was maybe plan b i don't remember if i listen to them all again i'll be able to tell you which one i think he sounds a little bit like bono in the song notice for me had you two feel yeah This is my On the Cusp song, my fourth favorite. Oh, so we're not really doing so badly, even though we're in the back half of the album. No. Okay. Yeah, this is the one on the back seven that I starred and that I really, really love on the back half. This is the one that I got the most religious vibes from, and it's because of the beautiful surrender line. So I... Took a course on religion. I actually took a couple courses on religion in college. And I seem to remember, and I Googled to verify this, Islam, the word Islam means surrender. And I seemed to remember that there's a concept in Islam of the beautiful surrender of just giving your life over to God, Allah, and letting him drive the bus, essentially, and how that's not an act of cowardice to surrender, which it's another meaning of the word, right? To surrender like in battle can be cowardly, but it's an act of love and trust for your God. And so the whole beautiful surrender refrain, I was just like, oh, is this not about Islam per se, but is this about religion? Is this about surrendering your life to your God? And that being such a profound act of love and trust to let someone else take complete control of your life and letting it happen and trusting that you're going to go in the right direction anyway, and that everything will be okay. So that's the main source of where I got this sort of religious vibe on this album. Aside from that, I love this song. I just think it's beautiful. It's fast paced. And I think this song, maybe more so than any other song on the album, really plays between the hard and the soft in a way that really tickles my brain. So yeah, I love this song. Yeah, I could definitely see where it's feeding into that religious aspect as well with like, in the fog, you're all I see. I'm inviting you closer with each time I breathe, which is going back to that breathing aspect of being alive, being on this planet. And then Surrender just becomes so beautiful. Well, I'm driving this bus, so I think we should move on to the next song. 
onward and upward or downward down the list. Could be upward or downward. <laughs> Let me see which song it is. I'll tell you which direction we're going in. So we're going to move on now to track number 12. Track number 12 is called Picture. I see our fate. I see our past. And all the things that could not last. It's heavy on these eyes. Frozen This is my favorite on the album. Wow. I like the slow build and I love the writing. I think looking at a relationship that's ended through a picture and the permanence of that in the photograph. I mean, there's that one line that says it's so much more than a thousand words, right? Picture paints a thousand words. Just calling that cliche back, but in a very, very clever way and using, you know, how he's framing his relationship through the photo. I love the writing more than anything. This was a song that I did not expect to end up in my top three, except with the deeper dive into the lyrics, because it is a little bit of a slow burn on kind of a fast-paced album. But I do like the way it's layered, and it escalates as you go through it. So yeah, this is my favorite song on the album. I think this is really well done. It's my bottom. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> this is, yeah, this is my least favorite song. I was like, this is just too cutesy-pootsy for me. I don't want to feel anything like this. So, yeah, this was at the bottom. That's avoidance, Francis. I don't want to feel anything like that. That's avoidance. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's been working for me so far. I'm good. <laughs> but, yeah, no. Like, I mean, it's great music. And it's really, like you said, when you were asking, like, come up with your top and then your least favorite, regardless of how hard that is. It's hard to put this at the bottom still. But I would say when going through it, that this would probably be the one I would skip if I would skip. Wow. Over obsolete, huh? Yeah. Because I could just, I could vibe with that. I jams with that one. Yeah. This I, I don't, I don't jams with. Wow. Is Abigail ganging up on me? All right. So there's a lot of places to land here, Abigail, because it's my favorite and it's Francis's least favorite. So right. you got a big runway there. So on the spectrum from you to Francis, I'm closer to Francis for sure. Uh, this is not my least favorite, but it does fall towards the bottom. This song does nothing for me. It's fine. Again, if I'm listening to this part of the album as background music, no need for me to skip it. It's fine. It's there. It sounds pretty, but I have really no other things positive or negative to say about it. It's just kind of there on the album. For me, this is completely a candidate for elimination from the album because I don't think it's needed. Because this isn't a relationship album. And so then to have something like this, it just kind of thrown in there. 
I gave this two stars the first time through. It was one of three songs I gave two stars to the first time I came through. Wow. I love the way it's constructed. And that was before I even read the lyrics. It moved up into my top three because of the reading of the lyrics. Again, I'm a sucker for somebody who takes a theme and builds a constructed song around that and uses the words and the verbiage that go with that theme. I thought that was clever. Francis thought it was, uh, here's my quote, cutesy pootsy. I wrote it down. <laughs> but anyway, I'm going to defend my choice. I'm going to swim upstream. I feel like I'm being ganged up on again. Every time we have a guest, they always gang up on me. I got to find a guest that's going to gang up on Abigail sometime. Well, now that I've been attacked by everybody, I'm going to move on to the next track, and that is track number 13, Stall Out. So that's the beginning of a seven minute and 10 second song. I played every lyric that's on the page. Like it's a seven minute, and 10 second song. It's one third of a page of printed lyrics. Is it that much? I would think it was less than that, honestly. It's about a third of a page. It's got a really big header. <laughs> <laughs> that's what it is. I'm like, that thing takes up like. <laughs> so that, that takes up about 10% of the third of the page. Yeah. But there's not a lot of lyrical content, but it's this very cool, ethereal song. The title is Stall Out. I think this would be a fine way to end the album. Yeah. I'm okay with this being the last track. I think the next track is the other track that I would cut out. For the flow of this album at 65 minutes, you don't need as much material. But again, it depends on why you want to listen to the album. If you want to listen to it and bop and rock like Abigail does, right? She said, I'm going to cleave the album into two parts. I got the work part and I got the, well, let's make it one or the other. The bop part, I think seven, eight, and the next track you would remove and you would have a more rocking album. Just my gut feeling. I think this is a beautiful song. I think it's too long. I think 710 is probably a little long on it. Not my least favorite at 710. It is mine. There we go. Finally. <laughs> this is my least favorite song on the album. Um, part of it is the length, certainly. Part of it is the tempo. But part of it is that I'm not a fan of his higher register singing. And he does a lot of that in this song. The chant slash mantra comes back we get a lot of we are still far we are still far we are still far from over but he hits that high note on far and i'm not really a fan he sounds fine it's not a beef with how his voice sounds i just personally don't like that so yeah all of that combined and also the fact that it's already been a long album <laughs> this song is completely a throwaway for me so it's my least favorite i'm on the other side this is my favorite 
Wow! Yeah, this is this is my favorite Boy, song. Yeah, it's a very combative day. What a controversial album this has been. Absolutely. I mean, when I look at my three favorites, they are like the Plan B, and then Chaos, and this is at the top. So it's I don't know where my mind is at, where I tend to fall towards these songs that are somebody going through stuff. And then they're just airing out what their struggles are. But in this case, I like the slow burn on this. So it starts out with that sound of just hearing the lyrics go into it. And then it kicks off into my drums that I love to hear. That's like the main piece. And then you get that chant back where it's like, but we're still far from over. We are going to succeed, even though we were going. And then it turned into being something very difficult to go through. Like, I don't even know. Are we underwater now? Like (laughs) we were in a race and now it's just really hard to keep going. I'm going to keep going. And I'm so far from stopping. I'm going to keep it going. So this song actually reminds me of a song from an all-female quartet named Bond. And the song is Ride, where it just starts slow and then it speeds up. And so I kind of like that feel where it's like slow, you start vibing with the music, and then it just kicks off into another level. And that's what pulls you in to the song. Again, I just, I like the drums. I love that. And this really hits for that. And I also like his his chanting. I don't know. I like his register for this one as well. So Francis, your favorites are all within a thematic, you know, struggle of life kind of theme. Yeah. One would think I struggle a lot. I mean, there's times. Well, maybe when you came to this album, right? These were the themes that spoke to you most back then. And it's hard to shake those associations and your favorites. That's true. With an album, even once you move beyond those emotional resonances. Yeah, this still hits the same way it did when I was younger. I would make the argument, and I think Francis would defend me here, that that should be the last song on the album. I would be fine with that. I mean, it works as a final song. Isn't it on the original? It is. And that's probably why I love it so much, too, is because I'm used to that ending it. Mm. For this, they pulled Reset off of their EP and added it in, I would say, unnecessarily. Exactly. I think that's Warner Brothers getting greedy because here's the thing. They didn't have the rights to those other things that the band had previously done. So they basically re-engineered this album to include things that were on the EP as a way for them to monetize something that they didn't really have the rights to. I find that a little cheeky. I find it evil. (laughs) Evil. Warner Brothers? We We can go beyond cheeky. We can call it what it is. We can say evil. They have another song, Peculiar People, that they played live that you don't see on any of their albums. And that, I feel, should be on here. You could definitely get rid of like your obsolete and throw Peculiar People on here. And that, like maybe on their EP when they released an EP? Maybe. But that was my favorite song. But you can't find it on an album. So here's the thing. So their EP that they released, their original EP, was called Reset. Had seven tracks on it, Francis. Control, Peculiar People was the second track. Okay, Reset. Plan B, which we've heard today, progress and afterward. And so they lifted control, reset, and plan B for this album to make this an extended version of that album that you purchased. All right. So that takes us to track 14, which is the song Reset off of the EP.
So this is a five minute instrumental after the last song. We're talking about two tracks that go 12 plus minutes. And this is where I feel the album goes a little long. As much as I like both of these songs, either get here faster or maybe eliminate this instrumental. And I feel like Warner Brothers adding this on to kind of cash in on extra tracks in the EP is totally unnecessary. This would be one of the tracks I would cut. I happen to like this song. Um, I don't think it needs to be this long, but I think this song is cool because if you happen to listen to this album on repeat, Reset actually goes really nicely back into Collapse. And so... I thought it was kind of neat that they put this at the end because it's like, now we're resetting. We're going to go back to the beginning of the album and we're going to do this whole thing again. It does maintain the continuity of having some of these instrumentals sprinkled in throughout the album. So I have no beef with the song being on the album, the placement of it or anything like that. I just think it needs to be shorter. It is repetitive. Yeah, it is. And it's very long. And again, the OG album ended with stall out which made sense but if you like them playing this gives you that last long moment to just hear them jam out rock out and that's what you get from reset and i had also thought about like maybe starting it with stall out which doesn't make sense as far as like the name of it but you could do stall out reset then into collapse, then play it down. But would picture be a good way to end it? I think so. Yeah, it's <laughs> <laughs> that's the end of the relationship. It's over at that point. So you could maybe flip it around a little bit to go into that reset. But again, they were trying to capitalize. I don't know much about the distribution of the EP, Francis, because if it's a regional EP, then there's songs on there that when you go for a national release, people aren't going to be familiar with. So moving from a regional band to a national band there's nothing wrong with adding key tracks from an ep onto an album i just think if they had an album's worth of material you didn't need to do it on this so i'd like to hear the album in its an original format to see how it compares to this i'll bet it's more efficient i'll bet it's a better release than this one because i think warner brother tinkering with it made it too long i have to find it if i find it i am going to rip it and i am going to send it to you <laughs> <laughs> I would love to hear it, honestly, because um, I would love to know if some of my issues with this version are resolved by the other version or if they stay the same. And it could go either way, honestly. Yeah. Well, overall, despite all that, I thought it was a lot of fun to listen to this album. I, it's um, It's kind of a unique sound. And I found it very interesting. I don't listen to a lot of electronic music. I don't know why. I don't have any problem with that, especially as background music for work. And uh, it was really a good exercise for me. And I appreciate that you submitted it. I'm just so happy that you chose me. <laughs> I get to spread like the mute math love. Well, Greg John chose you technically. And as you're going to learn here, you're going to get to pick the next one. So uh, shout out to Greg for choosing this one. Just to give my final thoughts on the album. Thank you, Francis, for sharing this. This was such a fun exercise. Agreed completely with my dad. And I do really, really like this album. The two halves for different reasons, but certainly there are songs on here that are going to make my typical rotation, typical being one of them. And I wish I had discovered this when I was in high school because I just know for a fact I would have been an absolute fiend for this album back in high school. I was actually scared to share this too with y'all because I was like, I, I can't have y'all like breaking down my, <laughs> one of my favorite bands, but I am so glad you enjoyed it. Well, before we wrap this up, got a couple of orders of business. One is... 
we have to rate our Cranberry Herb Ginger's Revenge. I would love for y'all to go first. Nah, Francis, deferring as always. I think this is better than the last one, which I also like very much. I'm going to give this one a 4.25. I do like the darker fruits, stone fruits and berries and those kinds of things. So this is right in my wheelhouse. So again, 4.25 for me. I'm also going to give this a 4.25 because I also like this better than the last one, which I also very much enjoyed. And for me, the herbs are the defining characteristic of this one. And I've never had a bottled beverage that tastes so strongly of herbs. And this is fascinating and delicious. And I love a floral flavor and I love an herby flavor. So this is right up my alley. So 4.25. So yes, I would say this is a 4.3. Uh oh, she went with ten. Oh, we can't, we can't do that. What? So wait, I have to do a point two five. Okay, yeah. What? Well, you don't. You can do whatever you want, really. So wait, but if you were to rate it on Untapped, which is the app we use, they limit it to point two five, point five, point seven five, and point zero. Untapped. Why don't you sponsor us? It's a real bone of contention. So what did I say? 4.3. Oh, what am I trying to say? <laughs> you have to go with a 4.25 or a 4.5. No, no, no. I want a 4.5. 4.5. 4.5. Great. 4.5. My drinking's getting to my brain. We're going to have to pay untapped. If you give it a 4.3, we got to write up a check. This is something that when you hear that it's a cranberry herb and everything, you're thinking that it's going to be savory. And just to think of a drink that's savory is kind of off-putting, or it would be more of that Christmassy mule type drink where they drop a little rosemary on the top of it and you're getting a bit of that flavor, but it's not completely throughout. So to have something like this was a surprise to me. And it is a drink that they tend to feature year round, even though it should be more seasonal towards Christmas. But if it's given to me, I am more than happy to drink this and I love sharing it with other people. And then they drink it and they're just as happy. So this gets a four or five. Ginger's Revenge was a winner, Francis. So thank you. I will certainly be looking out for them. You know, I hope their distribution can get to Florida one day if it's not already, because this is really something else. I really enjoy their stuff. All right. So that's that order of business. Now, the second order of business, Francis gets to select the next jukebox. So how this works, Francis, just so you know, is we have four columns and nine rows. So the first thing we're going to ask you to do is to give me a number between, I'll take one to four and I'll just count off the columns. I'm going to a random number generator. Perfect. All right. So you want both of them then? Nope. Give me one. We'll go to the column first. Column one. Column one. There's only one non-repeat on there. Okay. Some good stuff, right? All right. Let's see what happens. Okay, so then we need one through nine for the second part. I had two. Two. All right. (laughs) Oh, my God. Time to Pretend by MGMT with our dear friend Paul Zawaki. Wow. MGMT. I like that. I don't know a lot about them. I only know that one song. Dad, Time to Pretend is an EP. Is that eligible? It's six songs. Of course it's eligible. That'll be a short episode because Paul doesn't drink either. So (laughs) it'll be a dry episode with six songs. But the good news is the last time he was on, we went for almost three hours and he had to take (laughs) his daughter somewhere. And I don't think he was there for the last two songs. So that'll be the next one. We'll reach out to Paul and see if he's game. He was last time. So I'm sure he'll join us again. This podcast is bizarre. I know. No, I'm like, yes. (laughs) Oh, Pops on Hops. 
I want to be famous. Thanks, y'all. <laughs> it's been a lot of fun. I'm so glad that you participated and I uh, hope you'll submit. That was your only one on the jukebox. And now, you know, there's an empty slot. Oh, I've got submissions. I've got a CD already. Uh oh. You actually have it this time or is it? <laughs> I got to check. I got to go in there. I have the case. It's another situation. It might be the second album. Maybe both are in there. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. If it weren't for the chaos, it would have been less fun. Thanks again for jumping on. We really enjoyed it. Thank you for having me. I certainly hope you'll be back. Yes. You get what we do. You did such a great job breaking down the albums, and it was such a joy to have you. So thank you again. Thank you all so much. This was such a pleasure, and I can't wait to meet y'all in person. Where can people find your and your brother's podcasts or anything else you'd like to plug, really? I would plug my brother's. You can find Frankly Speaking on any of the major podcasts podcast platforms. That's going to be your Spotify's and all of that wonderful stuff. Anchor. And I pop in on there every once in a while. And I also pop in on the Pete Dominic podcast, which is also on all of the major podcast platforms. And I will be featured under the Hugh episodes if you want to specifically hear me. But he's also a great listen as well. In the meantime, if you need more Pops on Hops content, you can find us on all social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube at Pops on Hops Pod, or you can email us at Pops on Hops pod at gmail.com. Wherever you're listening to this, there should be a link in the show notes to leave us a voice message if that's something that interests you. Or you can visit Pops on Hops Pod, our super cool website. That's where we put photos, videos, and other materials related to each of our bi-weekly episodes. That is also where you can submit your favorite album for a chance to appear on the pod in our virtual jukebox. And on behalf of Hops and Pops and France Pants, we'll see you next time. Bye! Bye. <laughs> So anyway, the next track we're going to play is the title track from the EP, and that is uh, track the number e 14. The EP. Let me do that again. <laughs> My bladder's backing up, and I'm going to have to take a break. <laughs> I can't think anymore. You want to take a break now, and I'll introduce the song? Yes. Yeah. All right. Let's all take a break. <laughs> okay. Drink before you go to the bathroom. <laughs> you just have to call these things out, Francis. Usually it's me. I'm the limiting factor here. I have old man bladder, but you guys are you're hardcore today. All right. Taking a break. <laughs>